So our reading this morning is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning at first one. If you've got church Bible, it's on page 1153. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, And in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, be, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, would that would the sense of hearing where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact God had placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Good morning. 
Today is the first Sunday of the Easter holidays, so relaxation begins next week. <laughs> um, when I'm at school, uh, most of my uh, teaching has a lot of analogies, because I, I teach chemistry, and they often don't get it straight away, so I have to say it's a bit like when, and nine times out of ten, and I think I've got a student here who could vouch for this, my analogies are based around food. <laughs> So that tells you what I'm thinking about most of the time that I'm teaching. And when I'm at church, most of my analogies are based around school, which is where I spend most of my life. So um, I've, got, I've had the privilege of being um, a tutor as well as a chemistry teacher. And it is a privilege because that's the bit where you get to just kind of nurture them. You see them first thing in the morning, you see them last thing in the afternoon, you don't see them all day. It's brilliant. <laughs> Um, no, and I, I've had, um, I saw my first tutor group all the way through from year seven right the way through to year 11, and they started school when I started teaching, so we didn't have a clue. Both they didn't have a clue, and I didn't have a clue. But this tutor group that I've got, I did have a clue. And um, I still remember their first day when they turned up and they were in their, they did their induction days, and they're all in their different uniforms because they'd come from different primary schools. And there were a few groups of friends, like friends in the cheetah group, but most of them didn't really know anybody else there, and they didn't really know what they were going to bring to that cheetah group. And I was already thinking, oh, this is 7JPA, it's exciting, you're all one team now. And I don't think they really felt part of a team. And I've watched them over the last three years, and hopefully I'll carry them on until they're in year 11, but I've watched them over the last three years become that team. And find where they fit and they're all so different there's no one that I think oh you're exactly you, there's two of them that are exactly the same and they do everything together there's, there's no one in there like that they're all something different and when one of them's missing I really notice it and they all bring something different but to begin with they had this real kind of they had the thing that they could do the thing that they were good at and then everything else was I can't do that can't do Spanish never done it before can't do it and so we have a motto that we don't say that we can't we say that it might be hard but it's not impossible when it comes to school stuff. And um, so they've got this motto of hard, um, hard doesn't mean impossible, which is not fun when you're in year seven camp and you don't want to do Jacob's Ladder, but the kids are shouting that at you. <laughs> and you're like, it is impossible, I don't want to do it. Um, so we all have something to bring to the table. And I have spent the last three years telling that cheetah group and my previous one that you do have something to bring to the table. You do have something that makes you part of our little team. And if it takes them five years to get that, I'm all right with that. And I feel like it's a bit the same when we're in church. We all have something to bring to the table. We all have something to bring to this team. But it might take us a long time to work out what that is. And sometimes we maybe turn up not even feeling like we're part of the team. My brother is um, a complete wind-up merchant. If you've ever met him, you'll know that the thing that you have in common with him is that you take the mick out of me. And um, he loves to go to see films and will often see lots of films before... I have, and then we'll say, you need to go and see that. So if I've recommended something to you, it's normally because he's told me first. And um, he tells me that you should wait until the end because there's outtakes and they're really funny. This is sometimes true, sometimes it isn't, but I will wait until the end because I want to see if there are outtakes. So I sit through all of the credits and I'm still in there while like, they're clearing up and maybe the next people are trying to come in for the next show in because I want to see to the end. And people I'm with might be like... I think there's nothing and I'm like no I think there's something <laughs> and um, sometimes there is and I'm right well he was right but I watched through all those credits and have you ever watched and think oh my goodness when you've gone past the first you know 10 main characters you're like 
oh, that guy, oh, that guy, oh, yeah, that person was in it, oh, yeah, I remember who that was. And then you get down to the technical people and you've got, like, the best boy grip. Who was that? (laughs) But apparently that was important enough to go in the credits. And there's, like, so many roles and so many jobs that go along to making that film. And they might seem like a small job compared to the guy who had his name up on the, um, the trailers and, and all the banners, but that one job, that was really important. That was crucial for that film to be made. And they were all, everybody, no matter what their role was, pulling together to make that film happen. Whether it was behind the scenes or up on stage, whether it was the main character or you were an extra, you were important. Until I started serving in a church, I had no idea all the things that go into running a church. Until I started working for a church, I had no idea what happened. I thought it was just all prep for Sunday morning. That's only a small part of it. I remember almost a year ago, I was asked to give the same talk on serving. And in that talk, I gave out some puzzle pieces. You might have been there in the evening when I did that. And we talked about the picture, the main puzzle picture being God's vision and the fact that God had given each of us the vision of radically transforming lives and the love and power of Jesus. Ah, yes, I got it right. Did I get it right? Yes. It's only taken a year to learn it. Um, And that it wasn't just Ron or Claire or the staff team that have had that vision, but that's for us, St. Saviour's. And that we're all each part of that puzzle. And if we don't have our puzzle piece, then the puzzle's not complete. And I'd given out, I think, maybe 50 or 60, and it was kind of poignant. I hadn't really thought it through when I bought the puzzle, but it was actually poignant that there were the majority of them still there because there are so many people that haven't yet joined St. Saviour's. And in that year, I wonder whether that box would be a bit more empty now because more of that puzzle is being made. If we all share the vision of radically transforming lives in the love and power of Jesus, then we need to all be all in. We're all important parts of this vision being worked out. And we each play our part. And like I said, when we don't, something's missing. At the weekend away in the autumn, um, if you were there, we would have all coloured in um, some canvases. And we were all given a number. And that number corresponded to a part of the canvas to colour in. And when we coloured it all in, it spelt out family. Because we're all part of one family. And we all contribute, young or old, to that family. So a year later... I'm left wondering, am I still all in? Are we still all in? And what does that look like if we are? Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. And I see God the Father doing so much in our community. It is a privilege to come here every week and hear testimony after testimony, whether it's up on the stage or whether it's when I'm having tea and coffee, of how lives are being transformed in the love and power of Jesus in Sunbury. That is what God is doing. And it would be great if we're partnering with Jesus in that. I come from a family and a culture where hospitality is our thing, or their thing. My mums, my aunties, uncles, and actually even my cousins definitely have the gift of hospitality. If you went to uh, visit any member of my family, whether you knew me really well or you didn't, you would be welcome and you would be well fed. And if you've ever met my mum, you've probably not gone away hungry either. (laughs) They're amazing at making people feel welcome. They love to wait on you and make sure that you're okay. However, if you're a member of the family, you're given the same hospitable treatment, but you're encouraged to just get stuck in. 
get stuck in with helping. It's assumed that the things in the family and things to do are a team effort. Not because you have to, but because why wouldn't you? You're part of the family. We're encouraged to not assume that things would be someone else's job, but instead encouraged to be proactive about getting involved with what needed to happen. Now, I'm not suggesting for a second that my family is just unique in this. I've had the privilege of being part of a few families here, and I know it is exactly the same. But I'm also part of this family right here. My family that I see during the week, but also at the weekend. I don't know what our family backgrounds are, but I know that you're part of an awesome one right here. Do you know that you're part of God's family and that you're part of St. Saviour's family? That you're loved and accepted by God and that we love and accept you? You matter to St. Saviour's. You matter to God and he knows you. Wherever you are on the journey of getting to know him, he knows you. And maybe today, you just needed to know that you're part of God's family and that he knows you by name. And when I wrote that, I didn't know that was going to be the word shared this morning. So maybe you need to know that you're part of this family and that he knows you by name. So where do we serve in our family? Where is there a need? What can we offer? Because we all bring something to the table. It's kind of complex and not complex at the same time. Because for St. Saviour's to be all in, in for tr- radically transforming the lives in the love and power of Jesus, all of St. Saviour's needs to be on board. And we are St. Saviour's. We are. And, you know, the guys that come in the evening and midweek and the ones that are not here. We are St. Saviour's. We have so many different areas and aspects that within that overall vision is part of what we do as, as St Saviours that need us to be on board, whether it's youth work, kids work, oasis, life groups, worship, music, audiovisuals, um, prayer ministry, admin, restore, alpha, community lunches and so much more that I couldn't list on there because I'd have had to have gone on the website but they're all the ones I did without the website. <laughs> and so much more because it's just the fellowship and the, just the life of the church each of us sorry all of those things happen through people they happen with God working through people through us each of us has the gifts and talents that God has given to us to use so what are your gifts and how could they be used here after the service there are going to be um, staff around today that we'll talk about and um, will be there if you want to say this is what I've got this is what I bring to the table how could you use it how could it be used in this at St Saviour's what could St Saviour's do with this because there'll be something in the Bible a few of uh, Jesus' disciples were curious about I love reading about the disciples because I often think I wonder what I'd have been like if I was there when Jesus was there what what, what kind of disciple would I have been like and I love that they're um, they're curious about obviously who the favourite is and um, which disciples were going to receive the greatest honour. And Jesus says to them, and he's like, right, so everyone's like, oh, is it me? Is it going to be me? What, what do I have to do to receive the greatest honour? Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I wonder if they're like, 
oh, maybe not me, is it me? <laughs> the, um, the original text uses the word uh, diaconio, I might have pronounced it wrong, um, to, means to serve, means caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides in an active or practical way. Learning to serve seems like a bit of a hard route and one that seems like it's going to have less limelight. And it's often small beginnings too. And yet I believe God wastes nothing that we do and nothing that we offer. If we offer it to God, he doesn't waste any of it. Last week I was uh, really humbled by some students of mine. The students... um, put on a talent show with a little help from the teachers um, to raise money for a student in our school who's got cancer and um, needs treatment that isn't going to be funded. And we're trying to raise money to buy a defibrillator for the community and for the school. The students got involved and there were an incredible amount of students involved in this talent show. Many of them performing, 12 acts, and in fact only one of them sang on their own. So that was... um, that's a lot of students to manage. But of these students, there were two of them that were involved in helping and running all of the things backstage um, on the night. And they had the really unglamorous job of being backstage with all of the acts who had to be quiet. Now, as a teacher, that is hard on the best of days, but when they're really excitable and they're doing this fun thing, that's even harder, isn't it? So I stepped out and let these two kids manage backstage. And, um, and they were there and it was hot backstage and they served amazingly they did not complain once about the fact that they hadn't seen any of the talent show because they'd been backstage they didn't get recognition for being there because they were out of the way no one saw that they were there apart from me I did eventually swap them around but they didn't know that I was going to do that they didn't know that they were going to get a chance to come out and see the rest of it And they did it all without complaint and so humbly. And actually, the one time I did say, oh, can you guys, can you come out? I needed them to hold the kick drum on stage. So while other people were performing, they had to hold the drum. (laughs) Servant-hearted. To be a servant in the world can sound really oppressive and controlling. And yet, it's a role that we need to engage with and redeem as Jesus called us to serve as he served. In the world, we're often taught to find ourselves and understand who we are and then get higher status. You know, work out who you are, who you're going to be and what are you aspiring to be. And it can tempt us to chase the higher status and recognition from man. And yet Jesus helps us realise that once we recognise who we are and who God is, our response should be to serve and serve others because of who we are and who God is. Jesus demonstrates this servant-heartedness when he washes his disciples' feet before supper. A socially weird thing to do, because when you turn up at someone's house, and in those days they would have had sandals, bare feet, not socks, and caked in dust and mud and donkey poo probably. When they turn up, the servants of the host's house would wash their feet and make sure they were clean before supper. So Jesus then says, kneel down and decide to wash their feet. It's just, what are you doing? But as the disciples protested, Jesus stopped them. He wanted to lead by example. As well as the act of washing their feet being symbolic of what was about to happen, Jesus was servant-hearted. And he called the disciples and us to do likewise. 
And I wonder what that looks like. Because sometimes it will look like washing feet, actually washing feet. And if you were here at the Lent Reflections, you would have um, experienced that beautiful moment when Lorraine and Ange were washing people's feet. Sometimes it's going to be surveyed on team at church. Sometimes it's going to be going out of your way to give someone a lift. Sometimes it's spending time with somebody. That looks like something, and I can list off the things that I can think of, but there are so many that I know happened already in this church. A servant is one who seeks to meet the real needs of others or the person he's serving. Why bother, though? What about calling, gifting? Do you have to be gifted to wash feet? God loves us. He recognises us as family. Not outsiders, but family. He invites us to be part of the bigger picture where each person can know that there is a God out there who knows them and loves them too. Knowing that we're in love should increase our capacity to love others because Jesus says, love God, love other people. He goes on in John 14, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said people will know we belong to him because of the way we love one another. So we have Jesus' example and we have our motivation. In Romans 12, verse 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. In John 13, verse, four, uh, verse 14, This is my commandment, that you would love one another as I have loved you. It feels like there's a, a theme here. To love one another and outdo each other in showing honour looks like something, though, doesn't it? It's not just words. To prefer the needs of others looks like something. I don't know that putting out the bin for somebody is anyone's particular call or gifting, but it's an act of putting someone else first or doing the thing that they can't do and helping them. I don't think that driving someone out of your way is a gift or a call in but maybe it's an act of love to help someone else I think putting other people first is an act of love and we often in church talk about how are people going to know that we love Jesus how are they going to know that you know how are we going to point people to Jesus and I always love when Jesus says people are going to know you're my disciples because of the way you love one another and I'm a Christian and I want people to know that I'm a Christian because they can see me loving other people and then I can point them to Jesus. I spend most of my life at work and most of my serving, I guess, should happen during the week at work. That's where I'm called to be and that's where I want to be putting other people first. But I also spend a lot of my time in church. Um... I bumped into a friend the other day and she told me she works in a coffee shop and she said that her job can be really monotonous and the same thing over and over again and can be hard work doing that over and over again. 
But she then realised, she said, um, while she was praying in the morning, that she could be doing that job as if she were doing it for God. So every time she would wipe a table, every time she'd make a coffee, she would know that she was actually doing it for God and serving God and therefore could do it with joy. And she saw a real difference in doing that monotonous job. Calling is important. And there are roles and jobs and places that we are called into. They often can be discerned through knowing how God has gifted us, but I wonder if being servant-hearted is just part of being a disciple. Maybe it's more basic than calling. Maybe it's just about putting others first. And I wonder what that looks like when I put other people's needs before my own. What team does that land me in at church? Where do I volunteer where I might not have done before because I look at it as putting someone else's needs above my own? There is joy to be found in serving and in being part of a team and being part of this family and recognising that we're part of something bigger. We all bring something to the table, all of us, no matter how small it seems. Told you, lots of school analogies, but this one's a true... Well, they're all true stories. A boy in my tutor group... He comes in every day and he comes in early and takes down the chairs in my classroom. I've never asked him to take down the chairs in my classroom. Every day. And he does it and he's been doing it for the last two and a half years. Every day. And I think I've only really rewarded him only a few times out of that because he sees me doing my day-to-day jobs. He'll say, Miss, is there anything I can help you with? Is there anything that I can do? Is there a job I can do for you? So, is the person that befriends anybody and everybody and makes sure that their day's going okay. He's the kid that will come and say really quietly to me, you might want to ask so-and-so how their day was. I've noticed that there are now two girls that also come early and they take the chairs down. And so there are four students, well, three of them now that, that come in early to do that. And it's such a small thing and such a big thing to me and what seems to them really small but it is yeah I was just really blown away by them they even they've even uh, started tidying parts of my room that when putting things back that aren't in their proper places they're so servant-hearted and willing to help and use their initiative It's officially the Easter holidays, like I said, and I like to say that we were winding down by the end of term, but the reality is that when I got to the end of term, I was completely spent and exhausted by Friday. I had two days of migraines and felt completely done in. What a term. God gets that we get tired and exhausted and that we're human, but Jesus teaches us to rest and then serve out of a place of rest. In Galatians 6, verse 9 it says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up but I think it's so important that we read that verse alongside knowing that Jesus says in Matthew 11 verse 28 come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Are you weary and burdened? Come to Jesus and he will give you rest. It is important that we serve out of a place of rest. 
as it is recognizing that God needs to fill us up with energy and his Holy Spirit and that he needs to give us rest so that we can serve without getting weary. Both of those verses are true. There are definitely seasons and situations where putting someone else first will be a sacrifice and it won't seem like it's from a place of rest. But I think in those times we still need to come back to God for he is our place of comfort, rest and restoration. Where do we need to allow God into our lives to fill us up? When we serve, God ministers to us. I wonder what God has been saying to you while you've been serving wherever you serve. A few years ago, um, we went to, a group of us friends went to Uganda and we were helping build a house for some children who'd been orphaned through HIV, AIDS or war. And as we were building, we were chatting with the Ugandan builders, mixing cement, chucking bricks, like we were supposed to be, um, wiping cement on each other, nursing sunburn, <laughs> and attempting to bricklay at the same time. And it felt like the day had been so busy doing lots of different things, and yet the two people I'm thinking of right here, Toby and Geraint, I was blown away by the fact that through all of that, each evening we'd come back and there'd be testimony shared of what God had been saying through Brick Lane, what God had been saying through the scenery of Africa, and profound things that have stayed with me and I'm sure have stayed with everyone that was on that team, of knowing that each brick has a place no matter what it looks like, knowing that God is our Father, our Heavenly Father who loves us. Each one of us had something to bring back because as we served in what seemed like a physical thing, just a physical bricklaying activity, God still used it because nothing is ever wasted. You have no idea how valuable and instrumental you are to the work of this body of Christ right here. We may be a tiny link in the bigger picture, but it is a part that cannot be played by anyone else in the world. In fact, you were chosen to play your part even if you don't know it yet. You are instrumental to God's plan. And if our shared vision is to point people to Jesus so they would have lives that are radically transformed, then you are part of this. We are part of this. Even though God could do it without us, he chooses to invite and involve us. Saying yes has a heavenly impact. What we do isn't always the most important thing, maybe, to us. But it's the heart that we do it with that becomes important. I have every faith, too, that through serving and through giving of ourselves, our lives will be radically transformed in the love and power of Jesus. Nothing is wasted. In terms of serving, there's nothing about serving that buys us God's love, though, that makes him love us more. Or the little thing that we do makes him love us less. Because it's not about working for God's love. We're just part of this family and he invites us to join in and get stuck in. And join in with what he's doing in this place. So let us not just embrace opportunity as it arrives, but let's go look for opportunities to serve and bless others. Maybe you know that you are loved and chosen by God. Maybe you don't. Maybe that's what you need to know. But I pray, may you know that you are loved and chosen. That he calls you into this family and he invites you to partner in pointing people to Jesus. May you know 
that your part in this family is important. May you know that you can come to Jesus if you are tired and weary and he will give you rest. And may you know that as you serve, God will minister to you too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for being our example of what it means to be servant-hearted. And thank you that you invite us to partner in with whatever you are doing in this place. Help us, by your Holy Spirit, to not miss opportunities to serve others and put others first. And fill us up where we need restoring, Lord, so that we can do good without growing weary. In Jesus' name, amen.